one of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe it if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. What a passage of scripture, eh? When I first came to faith, uh, I was just a few months shy of being a teenager. And someone told me about this incredible book, the Bible. Never come across it before. Didn't even have a copy in my house. And I loved reading. I used to read loads of books when I was a kid. So I thought, wow, this is great. This will be a great way for me to get to know God, to read this book. And I opened it up. And where do you think the first book of the Bible was that I turned to? Well, if you know me, and I know I've not met all of you in this room, you'll know that my name's Joshua. And I didn't know there was a book of the Bible called Joshua. And I saw it and I was like, wow, that must be the best book. So I read it. And as like a a teenage boy, Joshua's a pretty exciting book to read, right? There's some exciting stuff happening there. So I read the book of Joshua and was just captivated by it. I thought it was, it was brilliant. I think I then moved on to Judges and then got lost a little bit and then thought, where, where do I go? Where do I go next? So I decided to start reading the Gospels. And I tell you what, I was captivated by Jesus. I just was blown away by, by all that he is. I started off in the book of Matthew And I started to read, and I started to read from the Sermon on the Mount, and these incredible, beautiful teaching. 
this whole alternate way of seeing the world. Everything upside down. Where we respond to enemies and persecution and injustice and violence with love, with blessing. And I decided something then that I've tried to live ever since. I think you've heard me say this before, if you've been to these services before. I often say, I really am not one of the most successful or uh, brilliant examples of Jesus' disciples, but I try to make up for it with uh, undimmed enthusiasm. I try to just make up for it with a a lack of effort and energy. And uh, I was really struck by this passage when Jesus is asked about forgiveness. And he's asked the question, how many times should you forgive? And what does he say? 70 times 7. And you know, if you've got to 489 times and you're still keeping count, you've missed the point of what Jesus says, right? In my family, there were um, a lot of historical grudges that have been held. I'm sure your family's not like this. I'm sure your family's really functional, okay? But in my family, there were loads of grudges, loads of people who weren't speaking to this person, to this person. There'd been finances that had got involved. It'd been very messy. A lot of my home life had actually been shaped and built upon grudges and response to money. Then, part of my journey to faith was actually being involved in a really bad um, road traffic accident and God healing me just incredibly, powerfully, graciously and I came to faith. But then I had this decision of whether I try and chase after the people who caused me to go through this experience. Now, in some ways, that's a no-brainer. They did wrong. I should try and get money from them. There was a real kind of culture. I think it's calmed down now, but there's a real culture for a long while in this country of, of suing people for money. Yeah? We know about those sort of people, that sort of culture, right? But this was quite strange for me because although this had been a really painful experience, um, a really severe, severe accident, the other side of this experience, I'd found Jesus. So it's quite hard for me to think of this negative experience in a negative way. But not only that, I decided to pray about it, which is always a dangerous thing, right? And I prayed, and I felt God say that I should forgive the person who ran me over, that I shouldn't pursue what was right that actually I should pursue grace instead. My family couldn't understand this. The police couldn't understand this. In fact, they so couldn't understand it, when they put together their final report, they actually went back and changed what they had written down had originally happened to try and compensate for my extraordinary reaction. My... uh, Older sister always, always fixes on money. Um, I love it a bit, but she's not, she's not a Christian, and she has this kind of fixation in it, and she really didn't understand it. 
She really doesn't understand most of what I do, to be honest. She told me once, she said, you know, the best thing in life is that as you get older, the jobs you have give you more and more and more money. And I'll be honest, I'm currently uh, finding the opposite. I'm finding the more I step into what God calls me to, the more satisfaction I find and the less money I have in my pocket. <laughs> I took a job, I lead a church up in Mill Hill in, in northwest London, and the job that I took was actually um, at the local church in the area where we felt called as missionaries. But the only challenge with that was, in order to take this job, I had to leave a big successful church that paid me really well to go and work for a little church that could only pay me half time. And my wife was pregnant. We were looking at this going, this is a bit mad. But we did it. We felt called by God. Then a few months into it, we were like, hang on, this really isn't adding up. So my wife and I sat down and said, we're going to pray about our finances. So we sat down to pray and we're like, God, what should we do? And we felt God say that my wife should drop some of her hours at work to lead the church alongside me. And we're like, sorry God, you've misunderstood the question here. The question was, how do we make our money work here? How do we make this happen? But we did it. And actually, we found provision and satisfaction. In fact, it wasn't long after that, that then I ended up getting a job uh, lecturing for a Bible college, which is why I'm here every Thursday and how I've got to know so many of you, how I've got to make great friends, God provides. Why do I share these stories? Am I trying to show off like I'm some great Christian person? No, I could tell you a million stories. I could probably tell you five stories from just today alone of how I've not followed Jesus or not represented him. But actually, we come to this passage in John 3, and it's this passage with this little phrase in the middle of it, you must be born again. That Christians say all the time. It's got this verse towards the end, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not die but have eternal life. That we've probably quoted more than any other Bible passage. And yet, we've lost, we've lost just the dynamic, controversial nature of Jesus' teaching there. This is one of the most striking passages in all of the Gospels. This is Jesus really tearing the whole world upside down. And I think it's one of those blink and we miss it sort of moments. It's one of those passages we're so used to. Let's just go through it together. First of all, Nicodemus comes and he's a Pharisee. What do we know about the Pharisees? Well, Paul teaches us that they were the strictest sect in Judaism. He is a teacher. We learn that he's a teacher. And he comes, he's part of the ruling council. So in every way, Pharisee, teacher, part of the ruling council, he is everything that is important and is big in Judaism in that time. And he comes to Jesus at night hiding to ask him to open up his heart to see what Jesus is about. And he even asked this question. He says, Rabbi, we know. 
He doesn't come on his own. He doesn't come to ask his own question. He's representative of all the Jews. He's representative of all Israel in that time. Rabbi, we know. We know that you're a teacher come from God. And how does Jesus respond to him? No one can see the kingdom unless they're born again. Unless they're born again. How can that happen when they're old? How can that make sense? Jesus says, by the water and by the Spirit. This is really, really dramatic stuff. Think of everything that birth within Israel means. Think of the promises of God for children. Think of the promises of God for a people and a place and how he was bringing the fullness of his hope and his rescue through birth, through families, And Jesus suddenly says, actually, this isn't a biological thing that God's doing. This is bigger than that. I'm about to explode and expand this in a way that you just haven't quite caught on to yet. Of water and of spirit. I love that whole bit about the spirit, to be born of the substance of what God is himself. When Jesus then says to, the wind is blown wherever it pleases, that sense of um, lack of control that we have as believers over our lives, that sense of to be called and restrained by, by the kingdom and by its values rather than by our own preferences and choices. It's really interesting in, in, that, uh, in that passage, the word um, wind and blows well, the word wind can actually also be translated as spirit. And the word, um, when, it, when you hear about, you hear it, there's also this sense of that word can be translated as voice. So you can translate this verse two ways. The wind blows where it pleases, but you do not hear it. Or the spirit moves where it pleases, and you don't know its voice. And there's this sense that being born again, being directed by God, is something that, isn't understood by the world. It's something that is beyond the way that the world moves and works. By water, we often think that this passage is talking about baptism. Baptism and all that it means, that sense of um, return to God through repentance, through forgiveness of sins. That sense of being born into the church family. That, that image of resurrection to be buried in water and raised to life. And we know that all this is true, the passage teaches us, because it's revealed in the person of Jesus from heaven. That actually all the other boundary markers, all the other ways that we might think of being in the kingdom, of how you get to heaven, is now replaced by Jesus being that direct link. It goes on to speak about how Jesus... Just like uh, the story in Numbers 21, Jesus is the snake lifted up. We look to him and find hope. For God so loved, not to bring condemnation, but salvation. To bring eternal life. The fullness of God's kingdom. Here, now, the seeds growing in your life. What does all this mean? It's deep and it's rich and it's provocative. Jesus is 
trying to take us to a, to a new space, to a new way of thinking. And I think if we read this and we don't have some of the, um, some of the mystery and the questions that Nicodemus has, we're missing some of the edgy nature of Jesus' teaching. What does it mean to be born again? You might hear that phrase, and you've heard that phrase loads of times in church. It's become a label that some Christians use to discriminate between different types of Christian. You might hear that phrase, and when you hear the phrase born again, there's, a, there's an air of, of judgment. There's an air of believers separating themselves from other believers through competition, through comparison. Oh, we do it in this way because we're born again, and you do it that way because you're not. And I get some of that. But actually, I think Jesus is teaching us here that we need to find our way of living that is just defined by an entirely different set of values. If I was to title this sermon, I'd probably call it Find Your Weird. Find your freaky. One of my friends has just um, finished working for a, for a church in America, a really exciting church, and he shared with me recently that his whole journey into ministry started when he was 18. And his auntie said to him, what if you just give the first year of your working life to God? Just, the, just one year. And here, 10 years on, he's traveled around the, around the globe doing different things and doing different ministries. I want to do something really simple. It's a really deep and rich and interesting passage. But I want us to respond in a really simple way. Um, I've deliberately picked a song that some of you may not know. Um, I want us to invite God's Spirit to lead us into where he would guide us. I want God's Spirit to speak to us, to speak to you, to speak to me in our life situations of what does that upside-down kingdom look like in our lives? What does it mean not to be born of the things that this world is born of, but to be born of the substance of God? What does that mean for us uh, Perhaps in our religiousness, Nicodemus coming as this representative of, of all that seemed to, God seemed to have been doing through his covenant and through, um, through his people. And yet, Jesus says, even in this, I am doing something dramatically different. That actually to be born of this isn't enough. You've got to be born of the Spirit. So let's stand together. And I'd like each of us just to do something really simple. I'd like us to just lay a hand across our chest. And just invite God's spirit into that space. And just say, come Holy Spirit now. Come speak to us. We have heard your word. 
We have heard your challenge, Jesus, to be born again. I don't know who God gave me this message for today, but I have this sense that maybe some of us have got the water but not the spirit bit. Maybe we've been baptized, we found cleansing and forgiveness from sin. But that sense of adventure, that sense of a life turned upside down. We're kind of on the outside looking in at that sort of thing. So come Holy Spirit, come speak to us now.
around and just going to keep playing for a few minutes. If you want to stay around, do feel free to go if you need to.